I'm Jonathan Mann. I'm Matt Condon. And this is Digitally Rare, the show about digitally owned things now and in the future. This episode, we caught up with Dan Elitzer, um, who is a founder of the MIT Bitcoin Club and has worked with IDEO in their collab and the crypto ecosystem. And now he's at an investment firm called Nascent, where obviously for the last few years, he's been steeped in DeFi. And so I came to him and I was like, okay, NFTs and markets, what now? <laughs> and uh, he had so many interesting uh, things to say and, and places to go when we really covered the full realm of the the sort of edge of the wild west of experimenting with nfts and and DeFi. so i'm, I'm i absolutely loved this interview and i'm excited yeah. for y'all to hear it it's a really good one let's let's hear from dan i guess to fully introduce myself my name is dan elitzer uh, i'm a founder of nascent which is a multi-strategy uh, crypto investment firm we both do early stage investments and also I'll participate, I would say, in the open financial ecosystem as a way of uh, also mm-hmm. uh, making money and investing. My my background is I actually started my career working in the nonprofit sector, specifically in microfinance. Uh, I spent a lot of time in East Africa and Southeast Asia and Latin America. And it was in 2013 that I, I kind of first started paying attention to Bitcoin not from the kind of libertarian money without government kind of perspective at the time, it was really from the perspective of Bitcoin as a protocol for value transfer, as an open protocol. Mm. And that ultimately led me to start the MIT Bitcoin Club when I was there for grad school. Uh, When I graduated, I joined IDEO, uh, the design firm, as a uh, member of the IDEO Colab team, which was this kind of internal R&D team that worked collaboratively other parties to explore emerging tech from a design-centric lens, and blockchain technology was really where we started. Uh, we then started Ideo Collab Ventures to kind of get even deeper, uh, but the thread throughout all of this has really been this focus on what does an open financial system look like? What does it look like when anybody with an internet-connected device can create or access any imaginable financial service or instrument? And that's ultimately what I think DeFi is about, is having this open, globally accessible financial infrastructure. And we're just starting to scratch the surface of what is possible there. That's wild. Yeah, I love that picture. I I remember you telling me about uh, giving away Bitcoin to the MIT Bitcoin Club. Well, it was actually to all all the MIT undergrads. Yeah, back in All the MIT undergrads. Back in 2014, we gave $100 in Bitcoin to, uh, we offered it to every MIT undergrad. I think about uh, 70% or so took us up on that offer. Uh, and <laughs> those who, who wow. didn't probably regret it, but but those, those who did uh, and who held on to it have done incredibly well. I think Bitcoin was around like $300, $400 at the time. Um, oh, wow. So, <laughs> so guesstimating, yeah, that's like a 10 to 20 k somewhere that's so funny yeah and what a, what a way to like introduce people to that yeah the open financial system this like network of networks concept is just such a very cool idea and we, we talked to simon um in the past and, and one of the reasons he's so excited about blockchain is as a child growing up in south africa he didn't have access to paypal he didn't have access to all of these 
tools as that as a creator in the US someone could use to monetize their work. And so once he discovered blockchain and the sort of borderless nature and the sort of expansion of the tool set, he was like, oh, if this is what I can use to like help more creators make more things, that's amazing. And in a very similar way, there's this sort of like open economic side, which I guess, can you paint uh, more of a picture of like, what do you what do you think the world looks like with this open economic system? Yeah, I, I think it just removes so much friction both for individuals as users and then also for creators um mm-hmm. and I've, I've gone so far down the not just the crypto rabbit hole but the DeFi rabbit hole that i i think DeFi first and just being able to connect my mm-hmm. my wallet um using you know metamask and other tools and be able to just go from one service to another where I just click connect and say, yes, connect this. And everything is there and I can just use it. Um, I I don't even think to go to a centralized exchange unless I'm doing something where it's like a super liquid asset or I want to access some like perpetual uh, options that that I don't have access to or doesn't have the liquidity that I need in DeFi. But for Mm -hmm. most assets and borrowing and lending and everything, I'm just doing it all on chain. And Mm -hmm. I think we're probably still a ways away from the general public uh, kind of moving in and, and using all these tools. And that's okay because a lot of it is still very early and not as secure as I think it needs to be for people mm-hmm. to be really, really relying on it deeply with money they need to you know, pay rents and feed themselves and their families. Um, yeah. But it's great that we've got so much risk capital out there that is willing to help use these things and harden them uh, mm-hmm, to the point mm-hmm. that it, they will be suitable for relatively unsophisticated users to come in and be using these protocols on the back end without even realizing it, right? Like, totally. yeah, how, how many people have even heard of Stripe and have any idea mm-hmm, that when they're they're actually using Stripe in the back end when they're buying something online? Um, I think that's similar thing, or or that they're you know using these different um you know plaid apis or things like that connecting and and using these tools um Mm -hmm. you shouldn't have to think about what the infrastructure is and we're we're still in the stage where you very much have to think about what the infrastructure is uh but eventually it'll be suitable to be fully abstracted away by Mm -hmm. apps and and services that will sit on top of it uh and hopefully will retain a lot of the kind of self-sovereign uh, non-custodial or self-custodial nature mm-hmm. of some of mm-hmm. these things, I, I hope. Uh, right. But it, yeah, it, it, we're, we're just not there yet. So right mm-hmm. now, though, we've reached, I think, the tipping point where there are enough primitives around lending and exchange uh, in particular that we can mm-hmm. create all sorts of new interesting products and, and experiences mm-hmm. on top that is opening up the door to some of this NFT stuff in a way that, you know, when we had that first phase around like kind of like crypto kitties and decentralized land and some stuff, you know, back in like kind of 2017, 2018 era, mm-hmm. the the mm-hmm. DeFi ecosystem wasn't there. And so they just were very illiquid. There wasn't a lot to do with them. It wasn't just a kind of UI UX problem, although I think that it was and it, it still totally. is to some degree. 
but now that there's all this infrastructure and we're starting to see things um, where you've got the ability to easily do auctions or to mm-hmm. use tools like NFTX to kind of mm-hmm. you know, remind me of like the wrapped kitties thing we saw back right. in, in, Some, like, in 2017, right? Yeah, it just... It, it, it makes it easier to tap in and make these things more liquid so people can mm-hmm, mm-hmm. get into and out of the things they want more easily. Uh, it, it, we just need to get away from that just an order book model or just a pure one-off auction model Totally. to make this something that people can easily access. Right. I guess that's a really great point. I guess just so many ideas branching off of that. One thing that stood out to me as one of the huge paradigm shifts of the the DeFi ecosystem more generally is that money is now not necessarily about the platform that it's in, but by the person who owns it. It's more like personal in that sense, and that that self-sovereignty kind of, it feels like a huge unlock in, in not just like the philosophical angle, but the UX of being able to bring your wallet from one thing to another. Yeah, and, and bring your, your collectibles and stuff too. Um, right. And I don't want to downplay the importance of art and pure collectibles and 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 things like that mm-hmm. but i also view it as a fantastic playground to experiment and figure out how these nfts are going to work in the defi ecosystem in this financial context because once mm-hmm. we figure that out getting real world assets on the blockchain getting your mortgage on the blockchain stuff like that it just becomes so much easier there's still so many hurdles to getting to that world but if we at least mm-hmm. say you know we we sort of figure out some of the legal barriers and and you know things like that a lot of open questions but getting the financial tools in place and experimenting with stuff that feels like lower risk right around art right. And stuff like that I think lays fantastic groundwork for really just getting a, a huge section of the world's assets and uh, of cur- the current financial system that is not yet anywhere close to being ready to enter into the crypto space. We're, we're getting closer to being ready by experimenting with NFTs. Yeah, the hardening is, is the word you used previously. And I think that's a great like semantic is the hardening of these primitives and these protocols is, is super necessary when you imagine the future being like, yeah, NFTs are just a better digital asset and look at all of the digital assets that we have in the world right now. They're not, you know, truly owned per se or not yet able to be used in a perfectly programmatic environment with atomic swaps and so on. And if you're imagining that, yeah, we onboard all of this value into this ecosystem, um, which does feel inevitable in the sort of like eat the world sense, then this this playground, this hardening is is super necessary. Yeah, and one thing that keeps coming to mind too, though, is this financialization of everything has a double-edged sword, right? Or oh, totally. is a double-edged sword, right? And, and mm-hmm. so um, I think it's great that stuff becomes more fluid, but once you've started to be able to more easily assign extrinsic value to some mm-hmm. of these items and some of these activities, there is something lost um, from from just kind of the poor the the pure intrinsic motivations or experience, right? Like 
even think think about like you know video game accomplishments like you you get this item and it's like oh you really you got that you had to earn it and it's mm-hmm. not transferable it's useful but it's like there's something cool and special that it's it's not financial exactly yeah the the sort of the the fact that it is literally worth nothing not that it it, nobody wants it and it doesn't is it worth anything but that it literally can't be worth anything really just highlights how much it can be worth to me personally yeah right yeah like i don't want my gaming achievements to be tradable on the blockchain that doesn't make any sense um and opening up that uh like the data model maybe just doesn't make sense for all for for different uh things and that's actually totally okay um there's no really one answer, especially when it comes to, for example, um, monetization. Like we were talking with uh, Simon about Harburger tax models, and one of his caveats is like, yeah, this doesn't work for everything. You can't just, you know, uh, say you get Harburger taxed, you get Har- Harburger taxed. It, it works in very specific contexts, and, and in a similar way, making everything uh, digitally ownable with a perfect programmable automated market maker with a highly liquid market like maybe isn't what you want for certain assets yeah it it, it might not be um and but we can also i think maybe program in some restrictions or some things that kind of like force some of these uh more yeah totally friction back into the process right like things mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. locking it and mm-hmm. in a sense that like oh yeah you can always wrap these assets in something that kind of gets around the restrictions sure but then people know it's wrapped, right? And it's, it's right, right. There, there's something about like the introducing time and friction and like yeah, human level cost to it is valuable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because now instead of friction being innate, it's something. It's a it's another tool that you can decide to add or remove. Um, that's actually totally great. I used to talk about this a lot back in 2018. Is like, um. Uh, especially when designing interfaces like it's a common knowledge that some friction is good um and in a similar way like uh, maybe that's the same case for these sorts of assets you know also to to get back to the financial thing right the idea of like putting your house on the blockchain it's like i i don't want someone to Mm -hmm. steal my phone or like hold me up and then like steal my house as a result like right that's that's not an ideal (laughs) like ux right. for, for th- right. things like that so yeah i think similarly we, do, we just have to think about what's appropriate mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but the nice thing is now we get to choose and we get to explicitly design things and design experiences right. pulling the levers that we want to pull as as creators right um and it's not restricted by what's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like feasible it's it's re- it's restricted by like what makes the most sense right. for the purpose for the experience that we want to create. Yeah, absolutely, totally. I'm now remembering like even more basic when it comes to like digital scarcity, like all <laughs> scarcity digitally is made up and that's amazing because in the real world scarcity is generally derived from some natural process like you have to cut down this tree to make this thing and you have to transport it a distance and through that mechanic you have this like derived sense of scarcity and therefore cost but with in the digital realm everything's made up you can architect that as you will and i I used to be really hung up on that but now i think that's one of the most powerful aspects of uh this like play space that we have is exactly we get to pull the knobs and 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 turn the levers or vice versa 
um, that we want as a creator to create uh, a system that maybe wasn't possible before. Matt, are, are you saying we, we need proof of work? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe yeah. we need proof of work for digital assets. Maybe you should have to like actually do. No, this is um this is actually a, a big discussion in video game um, economics specifically. Is so t- two comparisons like uh, Eve Online takes the real world model to its logical extreme digitally and says, okay, well star systems are far apart in space and you have to travel real time in between. Uh, stations and then if you sell an item you can't just sell the item to anyone in the galaxy you have to travel to the station where that item's being sold and now you have a market for people moving items back and forth just like in the real world and that is one way to like bootstrap a digital economy is by basing it off of this like intrinsic scarcity this derived value and then the other way is something like RuneScape, where, you know, maybe an apple spawns. I mean, apple's a bad example, but this thing spawns once every five seconds. End of story. Um, and that is just as valid of a way to create a scarce object and distribute it than, like, for example, EVE Online. It's, it's just that, like, that ability to decide, hey, does the apple fall from the tree every five seconds? Or does someone have to go pick it and then bring it back and harvest it and do this? Absolutely. Like, that's something you can decide to do as a creator. And that's really neat. Yeah. So I guess let's tie that back into DeFi and more specifically NFTs is you can kind of see that parallel um, where you have these tools now as a, as a creator, not of NFTs, but a creator of systems and markets um, to do something really interesting. And I guess, yeah, what, what, what are some things that pop out, pop out to you when we talk about that? Yeah, I think, I think there's, um, the concept of staking, uh, which has been kind of coming up in some more of this kind of yield farming activities and the idea of having to um, take like LP shares, kind of like liquidity pool shares mm-hmm. from Uniswap or SushiSwap or Balance or any of these things, um, mm-hmm. and and then stake them to earn rewards. Um, there, I guess there's some technical reasons and some things that make it like easier for you to do that, but you don't have to to do that like you could just drop rewards on people even without them staking but there are some some benefits from it and and trying to like lock assets in in that way uh and creating some friction sometimes you create friction or sometimes you remove friction from withdrawing like some things mm-hmm. you have to lock it in for a fixed period of time or there's like a withdrawal penalty and then other times there's not and it's it's mm-hmm. just a, a an interesting that people are playing around with and figuring out where is friction useful? Where do you benefit or not benefit from increasing friction? And, mm. and again, with with the acknowledgement that like a lot of it is more like guiding behavior and guiding how you want users to think about your system and your tools, as opposed mm. to mm. being able to actually hard enforce it, right? Because for any mm. of these things, mm. generally, it's relatively easy to like spin up some sort of wrapper contract and and Mm -hmm. get around a lot of these restrictions that are built in so you you need to design the systems assuming that via intent rather than yeah the intent and and we understand like if you try to skew too far away from like totally free state and people can do whatever the Mm -hmm. heck they want uh Mm -hmm. people will find ways to get around it like there'll be enough Mm -hmm. economically on the line that'll be worth the hassle to right. engineer a way around it 
but there right. is a zone in which you can, you know, push people's behavior where mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it benefits the system and, and causes encouragement of the types of behaviors you want without making mm -hmm. it so mm -hmm. onerous that people will find ways to get around it. Totally. I, I, I want to draw a kind of left field parallel to piracy and Netflix. Yes. Where not not um, left field at all, man. That's perfect. Not left field. Yeah. And it's, it's like Netflix is in that middle ground where it's easy enough to use Netflix. Of course, you're paying for it. So that's the cost. But it's easier than going to a tracker and downloading a thing and opening that in VLC and connecting your computer to your TV and going through that whole process. Uh, that people are willing to make that trade. And so that's the balance that they struck, and it worked out really well for them. Right, and even even like iTunes back in the day, right, the, the one of the mm -hmm, core mm -hmm. insights there was that it wasn't necessarily that people wanted to steal it. It was just it was so much easier to get it music. so much Right, better. and so then if yeah. you just like said, okay, we've got an even easier way that you can do it, um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. then people are just happy to to pay for it, like for the ease. And and so that, right, I think that's right. that's a fantastic analogy here right yeah yeah if you're designing this this decentralized economy this market whatever it is this system um you want to make it as easy as possible for you people to do the thing you intend them to do and and not like get around and yeah and, and i think there's there's um also i think the lesson there too when when protocols or or interfaces are thinking about uh business models and fee extraction right is mm -hmm. if you can I think the 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 theory around some of these things is like very low switching costs, therefore you can't extract a lot of fee. But if you make the experience super, super easy for people, uh, they're happy to pay fees. There, there's not going to be like a zero totally. fee fork of everything um, because mm -hmm. you just need to set the, what's the fee that's like at a level where, yeah, you can actually in the aggregate uh, scoop up a lot of fees but individually, mm -hmm. everyone just benefits from being on this thing. They're happy to pay right. a low fee. It's, fact, it's like an opt-in tax, right? Because everyone totally. could say, we don't want to be taxed. We're going to fork it and do a zero-fee version, like all switch to that. Yeah, but good luck maintaining right. it and creating it's incentives. We just, yeah, yeah, we all agree that we're willing to do it. And if somebody... Kind of like the uh, new MetaMask thing where uh, there was that tweet where it was like, oh, at some point, nobody was really looking, but MetaMask started printing money on very small fees well, it's not, not even very small fees they're charging like 85 basis points or something like that oh i didn't even like, realize yeah it's like it's not it's not small it's like significant fees but because it's so easy they're getting a ton mm -hmm. of use um yep. and so i think that's and that's fine right people who want to go directly to to use like matcha or one inch or anything like can or uniswap whatever they can they can go straight there but just having it built in is enough of a of a kind of UX benefit for a lot of people that they're they're happy to pay those fees on top. Um, now you, you could say like the the users don't know and like the but like I I feel like the education. I mean that's the power of defaults, right? Yeah. Like it's it, that's just the power of a default option, right? And like Coinbase has gotten away with for years, right? Charging like one percent plus spread, right? It's like crazy fees, but yeah. like it just because it's so easy. Like a lot of mm -hmm. people are willing to do that and they could just swap over to Coinbase Pro and like use that interface. But like, no, they just use it because they want, they want to just be yeah. easy.
definitely a really good parallel to Netflix and piracy then. And I love the connection to like the architecture of a protocol. Um, okay. Well, switching gears, um, is there, I guess why I'd asked, um, when, when I was pitching the podcast to you, I was like, Hey, uh, what is on your mind about the intersection of NFTs and DeFi? Do you have something on your mind? Yeah. So actually, my friend uh, Brock Elmore had a great tweet about this where he was explaining to another friend, um, Freddie Farmer, about how how he sees NFTs and like why there is value there in these like mm-hmm. crypto art NFTs. Um, and right. and specifically thinking about uh, one project you mentioned was NFTX uh, for mm-hmm. making these kind of index baskets of the floor yeah. assets. <laughs> um, so like floor punks and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. the idea that was valuable to like establish a floor price. He, he was comparing to traditional artists and saying like, "Look, they've got uh, you know their their masterpiece works that everybody knows and that end up being mm-hmm. super valuable. But as a result of those kind of star pieces, premier pieces, even their kind of like throwaway like prints and stuff are are valuable." And mm-hmm. you you kind of there there's a relationship between those where the premium pieces yes they they will go up in value but as the premium pieces go up there's kind of this effect this halo effect around like the association with all of the artist's work that can be then priced in these baskets and mm-hmm. so I think it's it's really interesting to think of that happening with much clearer price discovery um, because you and I have mm-hmm. talked also a lot about how um, there's likely some like wash trading and stuff going on. And, and totally. I was talking to Brock about this and he was like, he's like, this happens in the traditional art world too. Right. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but it's mm-hmm. definitely happening here. Um, and, and in some ways then the, these like baskets, like the, like FTX index funds and stuff um, do, provide this other signal for almost in some ways like how legit that is because they're mm-hmm. much more liquid they trade much more frequently and so right, right you know i feel like you get some sense where like if there's probably some ratio or something of some of the like premier pieces to what right. some of the floor pieces are worth um mm-hmm. and so you can probably start to use that as a way to like spot um, what's what's legit and what's not. Totally. Yeah, you could, I mean, two points make a line, and if one of those points is, is really solid, um, yeah. you, can, you, you have some idea yep. with, with some amount of confidence. Yeah, no, definitely adding um, efficiency to, for example, uh, CryptoPunk floor, uh, floor punks, the, that feels really, really useful as a primitive, um, especially when it comes to... Um, you know, price discovery being hard, but also like uh, evaluating the price of something you have um, being like kind of hard and annoying. Um, like if you want to estimate the price of, a, of any one CryptoPunk, um, I imagine the best way to do it would be to go into the Discord and read every message that goes by <laughs> like once every yeah. second and see every sale that happens over the next week and just like build this map in your head of attributes and value and what sentiment and what people are thinking and all of this different stuff and that feels so so hard and annoying relative to something uh more automated like uh the floor punk nftx index or something like that yeah and i i think one of the the things that 
keeps coming to mind is people wanting to like unlock the value of their NFTs, be able to like use it as collateral for a loan. And yeah, there's there's two levels to this. One is you know even you know Robert Leshner, I think through like Robot Ventures talked about NFTX as being this way that again you can start to pool assets and that eventually like through their floor punk index like that's how you get punks into compound or into other lending protocols eventually Mm -hmm. um and Mm -hmm. be able to borrow against them but that's just that's just the the floor punks though right that you can then borrow against your floor punks but what if you have like a million dollar punk and you want to Mm -hmm. borrow against that well like it's it's a little hard to kind of like underwrite that but right what you could potentially do is you you can start to develop some standards looking at the value of the floor punks um and the relative value of um some other punks and you're yes you will like maintain some like very low level that people can can borrow up to like give them like a you know 10 percent collateral factor rather right. than 50 percent or something degree like, of confidence yeah some, totally. some degree of confidence can be pretty pretty wide interval but then you do start to have a basis for like you don't just need like an independent evaluator to say like you know is this punk worth so much it's like well we can look at the floor punks and we know we can reasonably do based on other sales like some multiple on the floor punk mm-hmm. price mm-hmm. and then build a margin of error on top of that and mm-hmm. let people borrow against it and that can start to happen right. potentially at the protocol level rather than individuals needing to assess this and create markets around it in that way although maybe maybe that's a possible way to do it too that's just going to create massive tailwinds for the entire category uh, because mm-hmm. people will feel like this is still a productive asset, still a useful asset uh, financially, right, right. in addition to whatever um, long-term value I see or aesthetic value I see from it, I, I can still mm-hmm. immediately uh, continue to use some of the value that I've kind of tied up in this asset. Um, I think that, mm-hmm. that, make, that becomes a huge unlock. Yeah, totally. And I guess surprisingly, that's not really something I'd ever thought about. The the sort of not lost value, but the potential value sitting in, you know, for example, a million dollar punk. It it didn't really occur to me that, yeah, of course, in, in the traditional finance world, like that is that is like just sitting there on the ground, you know? Um, we want to be really mm-hmm. fully utilizing our assets. And I think this is a similar thing for art is like, it, it, or or digital collectibles in general is mm-hmm. can we make these more useful the more like people have access to the value that's tied up in them the more they'll want mm-hmm. them and it just creates a, a fantastic i think flywheel effect for for growing the whole category totally I, I i can very easily see the um the rising tides raises all boats kind of metaphor applying here um, where this asset can now be more utilized and that allows me as someone who wants this thing who, you know, maybe it means something to me, but it's also like an asset. Yeah, I'm borrowing uh, against it and then I can use those dollars for, for something else that's useful like or the, use that ETH for something else that's useful. That's, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and, and I feel like there's always been, not that I'm at all an expert on, on this front, but I feel like there's always been this somewhat uneasy relationship in in the art world um and and with creatives around Mm -hmm. financialization of their work um and this is explicitly doing that but 
my view, and I, I do admittedly come very much more from like the financial side of things, um, despite having been like a theater kid and and, and all that. Um, I, but I, I do think that well, we don't want the financial aspects to kind of get out of control, become the dominating thing in terms of how people think about art and collectibles. Uh, totally. Having the markets there and having real value be attached to it just provides so much more support. And so, as I said, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. embracing uh, some of these DeFi tools and how they can interplay with collectibles and with with art mm-hmm. massively, or at least has the potential to massively grow the market, uh, grow the funding that's coming in here. And while it may seem kind of like dirty in some ways, I think it can right. really directly contribute to a new uh, artistic renaissance. Yeah, I think um, in terms of like artists being in touch with the sort of financialization of their work, that's something that is historically uh, something you're like not allowed to do. Um, you know, famously, uh, artist resale rights were first proposed like during the Renaissance and then completely ignored and again proposed in the in 71 with the Perjansky contract and completely ignored. And it isn't until recently that, for example, on the blockchain, resale rights are almost standard now. But I think also culturally, artists are becoming more in touch with the economics and the financialization of their work. You look at things like, um, well, one, ad-based uh, revenue streams. Um, but also things like Twitch and things like Patreon, the, the the feedback loop is much tighter when it comes to artists and financialization, which is no value judgment, good or bad. Um, but what I do think is valuable is is being sort of amphibious in mindset, being able to dive into the dirty waters, so to speak, of this like very capitalistic. I mean, we live in a capitalist world, but like being able to live in this ecosystem of like, hey what does this market allow me to do? What can I design with this tool? Is this good? And then, you know, come back onto land and breathe and say like, okay, art is exists on its own. It, it exists for art's sake. Um, I think there's power in being able to, to live in both. I think you're right. There's tremendous power in it. And the, the danger becomes that does it do to artists and to art similar to what, um, social media has done to some of our, our other forms of media and communications. Yeah. We're just like, yeah. it's like the, the, the dopamine hit you get from likes and followers. Uh, this is kind of that like on steroids in some way, because like, it's also money. Oh, absolutely. So, so it signifies a lot of the same things as likes and follows, but it's even more powerful because it's money. Um, and so yeah. I, I would hate to see, well, I mean, we may see, I don't know. I, it's kind of homogenizing effects or, um, right artists almost like relying on the analytics that the financial piece provides to drive Mm -hmm, the direction mm -hmm. of their work whether subconsciously or Mm -hmm. consciously um totally it 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 does create some challenges there i don't know maybe, maybe this is a place where like we can start to see some some cool like zero knowledge stuff coming into play yeah, like if, if there becomes like a way to like um like time lock or shield artists from this for some mm-hmm, periods, so like mm-hmm, they can still mm-hmm. benefit from it, but like aren't right. are, are able to like have aren't some level of obfuscation so that totally. it doesn't drive them at least in the short term. I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's something fun yeah. to be done there. That's a great point though, that the same effect that, you know, artists being in touch with the financialization of the work has led to different monetization models like Patreon. It also has like 
you know, kind of tainted, sort of in the same way that there's no ethical consumption under capitalism as a sort of logical extreme of that idea. Um, there's no, like, art production that is totally ignorant of the capitalist society that we live in. But maybe with zero-knowledge proofs or some sort of construction along those lines, there might be this, like, p very pure concept of uh, financially divorced art. Is that... Does that make sense? I, I'm not sure exactly what it looks like, right? It's like it's very much a, a nebulous idea right now. Yeah. Um, but one thing that that you and I have talked about recently is thinking about how do you explicitly build in some of these financial aspects, like some knowledge of them, and that there's this really interesting idea space emerging around participatory art, where mm -hmm. the kind of financial ramifications of that art are somehow baked into the work of art itself. I see that hyper specifically with the generative art. Yeah. Yeah. And and there were, who, who was it? Oh, I feel terrible that I can't remember this artist's name who like is famous for kind of like building in like uh Bitcoin private keys, like into their art. Oh, Kevin Abash. Yeah. 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 Yep. So it's like that, that type of stuff I think is very, very cool. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Just like explicitly building in financial value into the art uh that's almost like separate from the art itself but like the art just enhances it so much um mm -hmm. I, th I think there's there's really cool stuff to be done around that um and and then there was um i'm starting to see some some stuff around kind of like social tokens um around creators mm -hmm. and i think a lot of people are exploring around different creator tokens or personal tokens and how that can potentially tie some ways into the individual works and like access mm -hmm, to them mm -hmm. and creating essentially more long-term buy-in uh or, mm -hmm. or re rewards for those who are just like committed to the artist rather than just like want to come in and like snipe something um mm -hmm. I, I think there's some really cool stuff around that mm -hmm. i i just don't think yeah. we, we haven't had like like the model yet but like there's in my mind um one of the things i'm trying to sort out is what tools are explicitly like creator tools for like creatives people who are doing creating some type of art or or, or content or media on, sure. on a more or less full-time basis um mm -hmm. versus what are things that are the right constructs on like a social media level where like nearly mm. everybody is going to use it and tap into right, it in right. some way and like where right. where where the power user tools and where like the, the almost like dumbed down general things mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. it may it may be that the general things are like what like just absolutely rock it off and then we just build mm -hmm. more power user specific tools on top of something that is broadly applicable to nearly everybody uh, totally. I, i'm not i'm not sure what that's going to look like but i i do think that's a really great distinction uh, yeah, right? like in the difference between blogs and Twitter, um, or now we see like podcasts and Clubhouse, right? Like uh, I think Stratechery talked about this recently. Mm -hmm. It's like we're all creators, but they're they're very different um, mediums and tool sets. Yeah, yeah, and and so like, what does that look like going forward? And mm -hmm. and where specifically within this kind of like financial tools and financialization like context, uh, does everybody? have stuff financialized and like their social media posts uh financialized to some degree or like is that an effective model or not 
Uh, mm-hmm. Does it mm-hmm. need to be explicit that you're going off and creating something that is being explicitly created, not just to share mm-hmm. with like mm-hmm. friends and family or whatever um, that mm-hmm. is where you create the locus of economic activity or is there some mm-hmm. sort of like baseline like almost like facebook level utility uh where mm-hmm. you see most people on the planet adopting it in some in some form or fashion uh and then mm-hmm. a few people really lean into it and the same way kind of like influencers have social media influencers and stuff have right. and they just take it to a whole new level uh mm-hmm. with with other creativity and with what it enables them to do with their lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think this is why being amphibious is so powerful is because I really enjoy exploring this idea, but at the same time, I don't want my Facebook post to be over-financialized. I don't want um, micropayments on my tweets. And in fact, maybe I don't even want to tweet at all. I guess to point out, to, 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 to give credit to that difference of scale, it's like, my tweets aren't worth anything. Um, I mean, they're worth something, but they're not worth anything. But uh, you're, you're know, just Britain's... asking to get your tweet NFTized <clears throat> right now. Somebody tokenized my tweet when I launched this podcast. Uh, yeah. But you know, that's different at scale, right? Like Mike Shinoda, for example, um, gave this example as part of his uh, Mike Shinoda being the Lincoln Park um, mm-hmm. person who released some NFTs, made a bunch of money from it, um, and was obviously defending this concept to a lot of fans who were very confused or otherwise um, uncertain. And one of his points was that, like, yeah, his his posts do have value to Instagram, for example, for ad space and Twitter for also ad space and stuff like that. Um, and I think that's super valid. And for, for, for Mike Shinoda, that's a valid concern. Um, for me, it's, like, less so. And so that, that's definitely, like, two very different... Uh, senses of scales and therefore two very different perhaps mediums and tool sets that I use even when considering myself a creator yeah but also even the stuff that you're creating and not getting like paid for when you're posting on Facebook even if it's just shared with a small group mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. it is being like financialized in the sense that like you're producing something which then draws your other like friends and family there more and then ads can be sold right so it's like yeah it's it's happening whether we want to or not right and even in the pure Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. decentralized world that that many of us would like to create with like full web3 infrastructure and all that um Mm -hmm. let's say we wanted to have a decentralized social media platform that was completely free of ads well you still Mm -hmm. need servers you still need some way to like pay for this in some way shape or form and maybe Mm -hmm. those costs are very low but it still has to be paid for and mm-hmm. the nice thing about advertising is it abstracts that away and it allows right. it to not be an explicit financial payment. And therefore, we have these these tools, this infrastructure that, you know, for better or for worse, most of the world uses and mm-hmm. sees value from. And they may see more harm than value. I don't I don't know. People have different views on that. But yeah. they wouldn't use it. They didn't feel like they were getting some value from it. And it's awesome mm-hmm. that it's been, you know, quote unquote free because they haven't explicitly right. financially paid for it because that's been offloaded onto advertising as the model that, that supports this. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to, you know, be, be very cognizant as we're thinking about new models around this. It already is financialized. Um, Right. But there are psychological benefits towards like having that 
that like middleman and that kind of like layer of abstraction. Um, Mm -hmm. And so maybe we can find new layers of abstraction in, in our, on our platforms that will enable people to have that separation and not feel like their stuff is being explicitly financialized, but values being captured in a way to at least pay for infrastructure such that it remains free and open and people don't have the mental or emotional burden of it being explicitly in your face financialized. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I guess that is my hesitation to thinking about, like, for example, my own content as financialized. I don't, I don't really want to think about it. It's a burden, but it is. It, it's easier. It's, it's, it removes friction to not mm-hmm. have it be explicitly financialized. Um, totally. And, and yeah, so we, so we, we want to maintain that in some way. Yeah, I don't know what's, I don't know what's going to look like. I, I think we're right. going to explore the extremes, right? And that's how we right. find what works is by like pushing the boundaries, trying new directions and mm-hmm. we're going to mm-hmm. overshoot. We're going to over-financialize some things and like realize it, it doesn't work and it's <laughs> bad for all these reasons, but we're totally. not going to go to complete or and maybe we could try like completely unfinancialized explicitly. Like you just pay to create mm-hmm. and don't earn from it. And so like, mm-hmm. there's like a cost to creating and you show how much it means to you that you're willing to like create. I don't know, but, but, yeah. but we need to explore the boundaries and that's how mm-hmm. we figure out what's good, what's not good. And, and, and where along the spectrum or along kind of the, the multidimensional surface of, creativity and commerce we want to live you can find dan uh on twitter at what is it matt it's a uh, d litzer d elitzer or no it's d d e litzer d e l i t z e r that's yep. it dan dan elitzer uh you can find me on twitter at song of day man you can find matt at matt g condon where he tweets uh about falafel um <laughs> and um <laughs> that literally made me laugh i was like it was like i'm glad it made two people in this world th- laugh and honestly th- that was worth it 3 a.m this morning and i'm like reading your tweet such a is a good tweet your falafel yeah, for the intersection good. <laughs> of middle eastern food and dnd memes uh please follow at matchy <laughs> Uh, it's like, it's like you're doing dad jokes before you're even, you know, before right, you're right. dad, you're, you're, you're there. You got, you, you that, it makes me think I have a child somewhere in this world. So but. you must because, <laughs> um, give us a, give us a, a, a five-star rating on iTunes. Leave smash us a that com- like button, smash hit the, notif- hit the bell to, hit the to bell. be notified, subscribed. And, uh, thank you for listening. And remember folks, get, get, stay. Get nifty. <laughs> <laughs> uh...